SAFM leading the conversation. The viewpoint 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. On SAFM. As the workplace skills plan and annual training reports submission deadline draws closer, that of course being 31 March 2021. Employers are encouraged to make their skills development submissions because unlike the previous year, there will not be an automatic extension. Debo Khomotswane, Skills Development and Employment Equity Specialist at Strategy Labour Solution, says failing to meet the submission deadline could have adverse effects on a company's triple BEE scorecard. She now joins us this evening to tell us about the importance of skills development programs, why companies should claim against their skills development levies to offset losses suffered as a result of COVID-19. Further, the need for organizations to have skills development programs in a place at all times and how failing to submit skills development plans can affect a company's triple BEE scorecard. An important conversation, one which in many respects I anticipate might have fallen by the wayside given the complexities of the current financial year, which is fast coming to an end. Good evening then, Ms. Debu Khomutswane. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome to SAFM. Good evening. Thank you so much for having me, Sangeza. Please tell us more about the WSP, that's the Workplace Skills Plan, as well as the ATR, that's the Annual Training Report. So I think it's quite important for us to put a bit of context to what the reasons behind it are. So as a country currently, even before we faced the situation of the COVID-19 pandemic, we found that we were, of course, plagued with um, high levels of poverty, inequality, and of course, the high unemployment rate. So, of course, by having COVID-19 into the swing of things has um, really put a lot of companies into a bit of a predicament where they're obviously prioritizing how to spend money. And, of course, like you mentioned, um, skills development does then, of course, fall by the wayside. So it is actually quite important for employers to invest in their employees, especially since one can see that employees are actually the livelihood and the backbone of every organization. Who is running this program, the WSP as well as the ATR? Which government agency that makes it compulsory thus for companies to submit their reports, as it were? So the entire um, workplace skills plan and the annual training reports are governed by the Skills Development Act as well as the Skills Development Levies Act where the mandate is really quite simple. I mean, looking at the situation right now, every employer should essentially have an obligation to upskill and develop its employees. Um, Not only is it good for the expansion of knowledge and competencies of the labor force, but it also has positive impacts in the sense of improving productivity, um, increasing the prospects of employment, as well as eradicating any sort of inequalities that we may have in society. So the two acts combined together, um, governed by the Sector and Education Authority, also known as the CETA, are bodies that would actually govern the entire process. And just for clarity's sake, does this include private, I mean, does this include the public sector or is this limited only to the private sector? It does include uh, the public sector as well as private sector. Essentially, one could almost 
um, look at it as every single entity that has a payroll of more than 500,000 rand, which is obligated by law to pay 1% of that to SARS in the form of a levy. So one way in which employers can actually capitalize on that and create a budget where, of course, we understand that is a bit constrained at the moment is with the submission of the Workplace Skills Plan and the annual training report. On the account of it involving public sector, the concern, of course, would be whether or not there's an over-regulation as it pertains to the public sector because a lot of this information would either be publicly available information or inherent in the mandate of that public distribution centre or that public entity, so to speak. Would this not necessarily be own? Would this not be too onerous in the public sector? And I'll ask some questions as they pertain to the private sector. But in relation to all of this, these are some inherent functions of government in the first place. Why should this continue to apply to the public sector? Is a question. Um, well, I think it's important in the sense that the public so- uh, sector in itself also has um, employees. And one of the reasons why the CETAs were actually brought about is so that they could basically govern skills development. There are about um, plus minus 27 CETAs that govern mm-hmm. various sectors. And there is actually um, a CETA that governs local government. So I don't think that one would have to basically exclude the employees that may fall under that yes. specific sector, albeit that um, there may be specific challenges to us, but um, it's quite important, I feel, that people are aware that it's, it's an avenue that is obviously um, available for people to utilize. In relation to the Skills Development Levies Act, it says that every company that pays more than half a million per year in salaries, it must be registered with the South African Revenue Services to pay the Skills Development Levies themselves. Of course, there are consequences for late or failure to pay. Now, in relation to half a million in salaries, of course, this is a moving target, and I'm sure this is regulated through the regulations that apply through the Act. Is the threshold now still 500,000, or is it more? I don't expect it to be less. No, the threshold still remains the same um, with 500,000. Of course, the government did also give um, payment holidays on these specific levies during the first four months of the lockdown. Mm -hmm. Um, even with that being said, um, the owner still would remain on those entities to remain compliant. Uh, I think the great thing about this particular initiative, specifically, let's say, um, for all companies, regardless of whether you're in the private or the government sector, is the fact that, of course, you do then get a reimbursement um, on your levies up to 69.5% of your total levies paid. Um, once, of course, you've done your reporting and it has been approved by the CETA. Is that 500000 possibly not a little too low? I'm thinking a company that pays half a million in salaries, and that, that's, of course, over the course of the year. That's not a lot of money, and I'm thinking it might just be an extension of the essentially small businesses who would probably want to spend that money growing the business or investing in R&D, or simply they might not have the capacity to follow this government regulation together with many other public-oriented regulations and or obligations. Have there been challenges raised in the line of what I'm saying by small businesses 
or is it something that is readily acceptable and works in industry? Well, it would be very much specific, I would say, on the nature of the business. Um, I think there's a lot of misperceptions around what um, the Skills Development Levies Act seems to do. Yes, I agree that there are complexities around all the various reporting systems. Hence, it would then be advisable to have um, a specialist, um, one like Strategy Labor Solutions, to actually come through and facilitate the process. But ultimately, it wouldn't necessarily mean that companies would have to um, outlay funds, for example, to be able to get that reimbursement. Um, any sort of training that's done, be it internal or informal training, as long as there's been record uh, keeping of the parties who are the recipients of the training, as well as who and when the training was conducted, then um, companies would then be able to um, incentivize and capitalize on the initiative. We're talking about private money landing in the hands of essentially government through the institution of the CETA, Sector Education Training Authorities, which money is then sent back to businesses to house young people for the purposes of learnerships, internships, and related forms of training. Is this succeeding the way it is designed on paper? Are companies happy to be paying this money? Are the monies that are paid over through ultimately and organized through the CETAs being thoroughly accounted for? And are those monies reaching the intended recipients, both the host business as well as the trainee for the purposes of skills development? If not, where is the challenge? Well, I would like to believe that based on the success rate that we basically had as um, an organization, we have been able to capitalize on the additional uh, 49.5%, which would be the reimbursement to entities. And that would come in the form of a discretionary grant where organizations are then able to apply for additional funds to basically outdraw the training. Every single learnership, uh, apprenticeship or bursary that one might say is CETA funded is all the recipients thereof need to be registered by the CETA. And CETA has put in systems in place to monitor progress of the learners, to track whether or not entities are actually implementing and utilizing the funds as uh, would be required. So I do feel that there definitely has been a success. We've had a few success stories on our end where you would have, for example, even if it's um, a matric person who has just completed their matric, or even um, university um, students, who, of course, every time they would do a job application, they would be told about the experience. So opportunities like your learnerships and your um, internships and apprenticeships would actually provide those particular individuals with some or other exposure to the working environment, which would then, of course, uh, lead them to becoming more employable, if one can put it that way, coupled with a qualification at hand. So we do see um, a lot of success in that space, and that's also due to the fact that the speakers do monitor implementation and ensure that those funds are utilized correctly.
We'll continue the conversation after the break. Then Debo Khomutwane, Skills Development and Employment Equity Specialist at the organization Strategy Labor Solutions. We're talking about the looming deadline for the Workplace Skills Plan and the annual training report that must be submitted by all businesses in line with the Skills Development Act and the Skills Development Levies Act. After the break, that conversation continues. SMS SAFM now on 41391. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhez on SAFM. With a couple of questions to remain, we are just finalizing the conversation with the strategy, Labor Solutions, Skills Development and Employment Equity Specialist, Ms. Debo Khomutswane, talking to us about the Workplace Skills Plan and the annual training reports that are due month end of March 2021. In the light of everything that has been said, we have had a couple of conversations on this very program lamenting, particularly those who are in the skills training programs at the various seaters of challenges with implementation, with the communication between the host organization and the seater. And of course, the ultimate of all of that is that the seaters or the host institution does not pay the graduate. That's lamentable. But in the general sense, I mean, I'm listening to you talking about the skills development levies. A small business has got that to pay. It has tax incentives. I mean, it has tax obligations. It has rates obligations and rent and all of that. There's a conversation about minimum wage. There are factors that affect triple BEE scorecards and access to public work. Are these not all onerous, especially on the small businesses that are trying to establish, trying to grow, trying to secure their customer base outside all of these inherent obligations? Uh, yes, look, I do believe um, that for small businesses, it, the process can be quite um, onerous. But of course, the complexities around it are also very much uh, dependent on the specific seaters that they would fall under. Um, some seaters are really straightforward and others are far more um, intensive, if one can put it that way, as they would require some other form of supporting documentation, um, minutes to be kept of um, meetings that are held in consultation, for example, with the forums. But those wouldn't necessarily be applicable to your larger businesses. So I'm talking about businesses with a... um, Those wouldn't be applicable to businesses with a smaller headcount, so let's say less than 50. So you do find that the seaters are uh, slightly more less stringent in terms of the processes when it comes to companies that one might be more smaller businesses. Very well then, Debucho. Thank you so much for your time and thoroughly explaining the obligations that are important for particularly addressing some of the challenges that young people and organizations at large face for the progress that this country, in the economic sense, certainly does require. All the best then, and let's hope that there's some business coming strategies way. Awesome. Thank you so much.